So a little after 6.15 in the morning Kabul time on July 31st, Ayman al-Zawahiri, who was the head of the al-Qaeda terrorist network, stepped out onto the balcony of a house that he was living in with members of his family in a neighborhood populated by senior Taliban officials. We don't know what may have been going through his head, but I think it's safe to say the last sound he may have actually heard would be from two Hellfire missiles that were fired from a drone in the sky patrolling that house. And according to U.S. officials, landed precisely on the spot where he was standing on that balcony, killing him. That's Shane Harris, national security reporter for The Post. And he has been reporting on the killing of this terrorist who was a senior advisor to Osama bin Laden, who helped plan 9-11, and who has evaded U.S. capture for more than two decades. After relentlessly seeking Zawahiri for years under Presidents Bush, Obama, and Trump, our intelligence community located Zawahiri earlier this year. On Monday night, President Biden addressed the nation from the balcony of the White House, saying that Zawahiri had been found in a safe house in Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan. Our intelligence community located Zawahiri earlier this year. He had moved to downtown Kabul to reunite with members of his immediate family. After carefully considering the clear and convincing evidence of his location, I authorized a precision strike that would remove him from the battlefield once and for all. President Biden said he gave the order to strike at a moment of opportunity as long as it could be done in such a way that it minimized civilian casualties and was only targeting the head of al-Qaeda. And the mission was a success. None of his family members were hurt, and there were no civilian casualties. Wahri, who had been evading capture from the United States government really since 9-11, was now no more. No matter how long it takes... No matter where you hide, if you are a threat to our people, the United States will find you and take you out. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Tuesday, August 2nd. Today, we're talking with Shane about how the U.S. finally killed one of the world's most wanted terrorists. And we'll find out what this strike can tell us about the U.S.'s relationship with the Taliban, almost one year after our official withdrawal from Afghanistan. When did you first hear about this news? So around 5 o'clock on Monday, as the relatively slow news day was winding down, I got a message from one of my colleagues, Dan Lamoth, who covers the Pentagon, saying that he had just spoken to a source who said, I think the United States launched an attack to try and kill Zawahiri immediately got my attention because he is, while not a very important operational figure in the world of international terrorism, Zawahri is probably the most wanted terrorist on the planet. After Osama bin Laden was killed, he became the face of al-Qaeda, and the U.S. has been hunting him for two decades now. So news that they may have found him and killed him would be huge news. So I immediately jumped on the phone, started calling sources who I thought might know, uh, was initially met with some very telling no comments, which told me that we were probably onto something here. 
and were able to develop pretty quickly uh, from sources confirmation, either from people who knew or who had been briefed about this strike. So if this person was a target for the U.S. government since September 11, 2001, and who oversaw those attacks, why has it taken so long for the U.S. to find him? Well, because he's been very good at hiding, is the simple answer. You know, after 9-11, U.S. military forces and before them, a small group of CIA officers went into Afghanistan with the intention of toppling the Taliban and trying to find the al-Qaeda leadership and either capture or kill them. And famously, they, being bin Laden and Zawahiri and some of their lieutenants, slipped out of the country and got across, the believed to got across the border into Pakistan, and for years were able to elude U.S. intelligence agencies and the military. We now know, of course, famously the story of how the CIA helped to find bin Laden. It's documented in the Hollywood movie Zero Dark Thirty. And there was ultimately a raid, of course, in Pakistan, a very daring raid with U.S. Special Operations Forces in 2011. That took, you know, a good 10 years to find bin Laden because he took such incredible steps to make sure that he was not found, you know, really kind of covering his tracks. It's not clear what led the United States to find Zawahri in Kabul, but a senior administration official did note that after he moved into this safe house, he and his family deployed what this person described as terrorist tradecraft to basically make sure that they weren't being followed, to try and conceal their movements. They appear to have been being watched for several months by the U.S., but it gives you an insight into how Zawahri was living, where he knew that he was constantly under threat of being detected, and if he were detected, the United States would, would try to kill him. So he appears to have done a quite good job for the better part of two decades of avoiding detection. And ultimately, his luck ran out in the spring of this year. So if you say that this is someone who worked closely with Osama bin Laden, who became the U.S.'s number one terrorist target after the killing of Osama bin Laden, would you say that this moment is similar to a kind of, you know, we got him moment that we saw with Obama when Osama bin, bin Laden was killed? I mean, is this that big of a deal for President Biden? I don't think this is as big a deal as the killing of Osama bin Laden for a couple of reasons. I mean, Osama bin Laden was well known, I think, to any ordinary American. You know, even in the years after 9-11, if you had walked up to someone on the street and showed them a picture of Osama bin Laden, they probably would have been able to identify him and said, yes, that's the man who did 9-11. I don't think most Americans would have been able to identify Ayman al-Zawahiri. And certainly 20 years after 9-11, when he had so faded from the scene and when al-Qaeda is is a kind of ghost of its former self in terms of its ability to carry out lethal attacks around the world, Zawahiri was really more of a figurehead than a mastermind. And while he replaced bin Laden as the head of the organization, he lacked the charisma that bin Laden had. He didn't have the kind of fire and energy. He was kind of more of a thinker. He was kind of an ideological or a philosophical force behind uh, al-Qaeda. And while certainly, you know, was potentially a very dangerous person, he just didn't have the kind of notoriety that bin mm -hmm. Laden had. You know, when Obama ordered the raid that killed bin Laden, 
it was one of the biggest stories of the year. I mean, it was this daring raid. There was this incredible risk to life of the forces who went in to get him. They had to go into Pakistan and land on the ground. This was a very different kind of mission. This was something that President Biden has long advocated for, these so-called over-the-horizon strikes, where he has long said, look, we don't need to have U.S. forces in Afghanistan Mm. in order to quell the terrorist threat. We can do it remotely. We can do it with drones. We can do it with our ability to use satellites and other intelligence platforms to monitor people. And that's precisely what happened here. So you've got a combination of a less dramatic strike— on a target that was not as important, I don't think that President Biden is going to see the kind of political boost from killing Zawahiri that President Obama enjoyed with the death of Osama bin Laden. Shane, you said that al-Qaeda today is a shell of its former self. What do you mean by that? Like, what is al-Qaeda up to these days? And how is the organization different, or maybe it sounds like hollowed out from what it was like previously? Well, after the 9-11 attacks, the United States spent considerable time and energy for many years going out and either capturing or killing members of al-Qaeda, and particularly in its senior leadership ranks. And, And they basically went about trying to dismantle this organization. They had Osama bin Laden and Zawahiri on the run. They were capturing or killing some of their chief lieutenants and really trying to make it very, very difficult for al-Qaeda to have any kind of base of operations or center of gravity from which they could go and plan attacks. And they essentially, I think the U.S. and its allies, wore al-Qaeda down over the years, it's safe to say. They were later, the group was overshadowed by the rise of the Islamic State, which of course was waging horrible attacks in Syria and Iraq. And so you saw the al-Qaeda network kind of more atomized, and I like to think of it more as this kind of somewhat semi-autonomous group of cells that are operating, particularly in Africa and other places, but it just didn't have this kind of, you know, foundational existence that it had when it was based in Afghanistan and, and wreaking havoc. It's now more centered in Africa and Middle Eastern affiliates, just doesn't have that kind of cohesion that it had before. It doesn't mean it couldn't reconstitute, and that would have been the real political risk for President Biden when U.S. troops pull out of Afghanistan, was that what if al-Qaeda makes Afghanistan a safe haven again? What if in two or three years we're suddenly looking at a renewed al-Qaeda? What if Zawahiri does come back to prominence and manages to somehow kind of pull the group back together again and base it out of Afghanistan? Obviously, that's not going to come to pass, but there was always that risk that al-Qaeda, as weak as it has become and as diffuse as it becomes, could gather strength again and start to form a center of operations around one person. After the break, we talk about whether this drone strike could lead to backlash from the Taliban. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. 
Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. Are there going to be consequences here in terms of the U.S.'s relationship with the Taliban in Afghanistan? I mean, my understanding is that this is the first drone strike in Afghanistan since the U.S. pulled out, since the Taliban assumed control. And I mean, how do how do the Taliban feel about this? And are there implications for the fact that the U.S. went ahead and did this especially that it happened in the capital, in Kabul. Yeah, I think there could be significant implications to this. The the White House was very quick last night to say that the Taliban was in clear violation of what's called the Doha Accord, which is this agreement at the U.S. that the Trump administration actually formed with the Taliban when troops were beginning to begin to withdraw, and ultimately they did withdraw back in August. And the terms of that agreement are such that, you know, the Taliban is not supposed to give quarter uh, and support to members of al-Qaeda. They're not supposed to let Afghanistan become a base of terrorist operations. And here was the head of al-Qaeda living in this rather prominent neighborhood in the middle of the capital city. So the White House was very clear last night to say, after announcing the strike, that there would be consequences and they would hold the Taliban to account. It remains to be seen. It's not as though the United States has a strong relationship with the Taliban right now. I thought it was also notable that they were also quick to warn the Taliban that they should not take any steps at retaliation for this strike. And they specifically called out a man named Mark Frerichs, who is a 60-year-old American civil engineer and a Navy veteran who was kidnapped in Afghanistan Mm. in January of 2020. And the White House has been apparently trying to get him back. And they essentially told the Taliban, you know, you better not take any steps to harm this man just because we killed Zawahiri, which the United States says it had every right to do, uh, basically as an act of self-defense. So this is going to make the relationship between the U.S. and the Taliban more difficult than it already was. Hmm. And what does it say that Zawahiri was there in Kabul in the first place? I mean, thinking back to the beginning of the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan and why we were there, right? It was because Afghanistan was a place that harbored terrorists like al-Qaeda. And we are here more than 20 years later, and it seems like Afghanistan is now, again, or still a place that is harboring terrorist organizations like al-Qaeda. Yeah, there is a sense, isn't there, that we almost are kind of rewinding to the beginning of the story, that history is repeating itself. What I take from this is a couple things, is... You know, when President Biden made the decision to withdraw U.S. forces, he faced a lot of criticism, you know, from the left and the right, saying that this was going to make it easier for groups like al-Qaeda and other terrorist groups to reconstitute themselves, that he should have left even a small kind of residual force of maybe a few thousand troops on the ground to ensure that those groups didn't come back. And his counter to that was basically, look, the agreement is we have to leave, otherwise the Taliban's going to start attacking our troops, and we have the ability to monitor this situation from a distance and do these over-the-horizon strikes if we need. So what it tells me is, in a sense, that President Biden is going to have an answer now for those critics who said we never should have left Afghanistan. He's just demonstrated a proof of concept that these Mm -hmm. over-the-horizon strikes can work. I mean, here he has taken out one of the most wanted terrorists on the planet. I suspect that he will face a lot of questions, as will the intelligence community, of how exactly is it that 
this most wanted man was able to slip into the capital city. I mean, he wasn't hiding in a remote area. He wasn't in a cave someplace. I mean, he was basically living downtown in Kabul. How did that happen? How did they come to detect him? What if they hadn't detected him? But the president's going to have a pretty forceful response to those people to say, look, we did spot him. Our intelligence is very good. And we have certainly not lost the ability to launch pinpoint precision strikes at individual targets when we choose to do so. So then what about going forward? I mean, al-Zawahiri might be dead now, but what is the fact, I mean, the fact that he was being given safe harbor in Kabul by the Taliban, what does that say about their permissiveness going forward or whether um, Afghanistan can be a kind of um, breeding ground for terrorist organizations in the future? I think the fact that he was living in this area of Kabul, surrounded by other senior Taliban figures, tells us that the organization is willing to welcome, with open arms, terrorists. Uh, And that should be very concerning, I think, to U.S. policymakers, because the whole point of the agreement that the U.S. signed with the Taliban was that they would prevent that from happening. Now, I don't think we should be naive about this. I don't know how many people thought that the Taliban was really going to make good on all of its promises with the United States. But this was always going to be the risk, that once U.S. forces pulled out, that al-Qaeda or other terrorist organizations would find a permissive environment and a kind of welcome host in the Taliban and move back in. And it does seem that Zawahiri did just that. What I want to see is, you know, what further steps does the U.S. take to ensure that other terrorist leaders or groups are not trying to make Kabul or any part of Afghanistan, for that matter, a home base? You know, why did Zawahiri feel that he was able to come into the country now and find sanctuary there? It seems pretty clear that he had at least some confidence that the, the, the Taliban were going to protect him. And the White House was clear that they said that the Taliban knew he was there. So I'm looking to see, you know, does the Biden administration ramp up surveillance operations? Or would there be other drone strikes there? I mean, are there other targets besides Zawahiri? That might be one way for the White House to demonstrate to the Taliban, look, we meant what we said. We are going to conduct lethal operations here if you can't make good on your promises to stop terrorist groups from from taking root here. It, It does raise some pretty important questions, and I think it raises the stakes, honestly, for the Biden administration. This is a victory for the president, no doubt. But beneath that victory is the fact that the world's most wanted terrorist moved right into the capital city of the country that he ordered troops to leave last year. Shane Harris covers national security for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. Today's show was produced and mixed by Ted Muldoon. It was edited by Maggie Penman. We are so grateful to have you as a listener, and we want to learn more about your listening habits so we can serve you better. So we have a survey running right now and would love to hear from you. It shouldn't take much more than five minutes to complete, and you do that by going to WashingtonPost.com slash podcast survey. Again, that's WashingtonPost.com slash podcast survey. When you're done, you can enter to win a $100 gift card. We really appreciate your help, and thank you so much. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Oh,
If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters? And why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat. Available now. Available now.